All right, tonight we're going to finish our four-week series on the Lord's Supper. It's been a fun series to go through, and I've enjoyed it. And uh, I don't say this jokingly or lightly, but I probably won't keep you too long tonight, because it's just a couple of closing thoughts on the Lord's Supper tonight. But I want to give you, uh, as we have gone over, I think, very thoroughly the, the ordinance... The first two weeks of the series, we spent time defining the various views on communion. Last week, we took a look at the common misconceptions about the Lord's Supper. Me and Kim are in the same boat because we both heard all those misconceptions. <laughs> she told me after church that she heard all those things. I said, those are all things I heard too. And so we went through those last week. And tonight, I'm going to give a couple of closing or concluding thoughts. But first, I want to read through the passages associated with the Lord's Supper in the New Testament. Grab your Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 26. We'll start there. We're just going to read through. These are all ones we've read over the last couple of weeks. I want to look at them one more time. Matthew 26, 26. Matthew 26, 26. The Bible says, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New, of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16. 1 Corinthians 10, 16. The Bible says, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 20. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 20. The Bible says, When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, every one taketh before other his own supper. One is hungry, and another is drunken. What? Have you not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise ye the church of God and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he brake it, and, and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup, when he had supped, say, This cup is the New Testament of my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever eat, shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the, of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, 
When you come together to eat, tarry one for another, and if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that you may that you come not together unto condemnation, and the rest will I set in order when I come. Acts chapter two, verse forty-two. Turn there. Acts two, forty-two. Acts 2, verse 42. The Bible says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Acts 20, verse 7. Turn there. That'll be our last one. Acts 20, verse 7. The Bible says that upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. Let's pray. Our Father, as we've read these passages of Scripture that speak of the communion meal, the fellowship, and the sufferings of Christ, the, the Lord's Supper, the remembrance meal. Lord, we thank you for this last four weeks of looking into this great ordinance, what it, what it means biblically. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to always be biblical Christians, to look at your word, to form our beliefs from the word, not form, conform the word to our beliefs. Lord, you are the master, we are the servants. I pray now as we conclude this series tonight, the power of the Lord's Supper will be in our hearts and our minds. This is not a common meal, this is not a frivolous time. But it's not, it's not a time of sorrow or sadness. We don't, we don't mourn Jesus. He's, it's not a funeral. He's risen. He is ascended. He is reigning. He has all authority, all power on heaven and earth. Every soul of man is subject to him. Every beast of the field is subject to him. The weather is subject to him. The devils are subject to him. Oh, Lord, help us to realize and to remember and take with us from this, this series that we are not to take the Lord's Supper sadly, mournfully, but triumphantly. It's a Thanksgiving meal. It's a time to remember our salvation. That great moment when you turned us from darkness to light, from, from death to life, from the, the power of Satan to Christ, from the, the, the darkness of this world to the kingdom of your dear Son. Help us to remember that it's a time of rejoicing and thanksgiving. For what Christ did upon the cross, he did for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We thank you for the Lord's Supper that you have instituted in your church to be done until you return. As often as we eat the bread and drink the cup, we do show the Lord's death until he comes. I pray that in the coming months and years of our life, the supper will grow more and more glorious to us. As the world around us is dark and sinful, it is such a light to remember that Christ is our sin bearer. And that what we deserve, he received. 
and that what he deserves, we now receive. I thank you, Lord, for these scriptures and others that we've read and ones we look at tonight. Drive it deep in our heart, Lord. Baptism, the Lord's Supper, these are spiritual. These are gifts you've given to your church. May we never take these gifts lightly or for granted. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. A few concluding thoughts tonight on the Lord's Supper. The first thought I want to give you is the Lord's Supper is an ordinance of the church. We haven't talked about this much in the series. I wanted to kind of bring it up tonight. Some churches use the word sacrament. We don't. It's not a bad word. It's like Eucharist. Eucharist means Thanksgiving. Eucharist is a good word that has been taken and abused by the Roman Catholic Church. And so is sacrament. Don't worry, I'm not changing it to sacrament. I'm still going to use the term ordinance. But the word sacrament means an outward, visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. It comes from the old Latin, which means to sanctify, to set apart, to dedicate, or to make holy. Remember, I've said it before, I said it last week, I'll say it again this week. The Lord's Supper is not a common meal. It's special. It's holy. So sacrament is not a bad word, just been co-opted. As Baptists, we are used to calling it an ordinance of the church. One reason we do this is because that's in the Bible. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. We want to be Bible people, don't we? Yeah. I think one day when I'm dead, the people are going to say, the one thing they remember me saying the most is, what does the Bible say? That's what I want to be known for. What does the Bible say? Say, so, Pastor, why do we call it an ordinance? Because that's what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't use the word sacrament, so I don't like the word sacrament as much because it's not in the Bible. Let's, let's use Bible words. First Corinthians 11.2, Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. I think it's a good thing, church, for us to call Bible things by Bible names. It's a good word that is used throughout the scripture to, identify, or to describe divinely appointed times or acts that signify important spiritual truths. That's what an ordinance is. An ordinance is a, 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 describes a divinely appointed time or act that signifies an important spiritual truth. For example, it was used of feasts like Passover. It was used of sacrificial offerings and of other religious rites and rituals in the Old Testament. To apply it to the two acts that were given to the church, baptism and the Lord's Supper, to signify the sacrifice of Christ and its application to the believer is perfectly legitimate. Christ delivered two ordinances to the church. That is two set-apart practices, holy practices. Both teach spiritual truth, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Well, baptism, of course, what does it do? It teaches the inward, it, it signifies the the outward expression of the inward change in the believer, right? We are buried with Christ. We have died. We have been buried with Christ. We are raised to walk in new life. That's a spiritual truth. That's why Christ delivered the ordinance. Baptism preaches the gospel. You know where they did baptisms in the Bible? Not in church. Out in public. Out in public. And they were preaching the gospel out in public, doing their public baptisms. In fact, in the, in the Bible times, if you, if you got baptized, that often was a very serious step. You got cut off from your family. Even today, there are, are, are countries I've heard from missionaries 
who say that, oh, yeah, if you profess Christ, uh, the family doesn't care. But once you get baptized, once you've publicly identified yourself with the Christians, boy, it just it breaks loose from there. They get angry. They'll disown you. They'll try to kill you. Why? Because baptism demonstrates a spiritual truth. And the Lord's Supper demonstrates a spiritual truth. That is the, the broken body, the shed blood of Christ, the forgiveness of sins. It represents fellowship, spiritual fellowship with Christ. It's a perfectly legitimate thing to call it an ordinance. Secondly, the Lord's Supper is a holy meal. Go to 1 Corinthians 11, verse 20. I think you're in 11 right now. Go to verse 20. It's a holy meal. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. They were having a common meal. They were sharing a potluck, if you will, and saying, this is the Lord's Supper. Say, Pastor, how do you know that? Because I know people who do that today. I have seen people on social media. I don't make this stuff up. Met with some of the brothers today at Denny's. We had the Lord's Supper, meaning they had a meal together. That's not the Lord's Supper. Or our church does the Lord's Supper differently. We do it as one big meal and we dedicate it to the Lord. That's not the Lord's Supper. Paul is telling the church of Corinth, what you're doing is not the Lord's Supper. Now, there's nothing wrong with having a meal together. That's fine. That's wonderful. Jesus, when he instituted the Lord's Supper, was having a meal with his disciples. But then at a certain point, he stopped. And he took bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he passed it out. He took the cup, and he did likewise. He was setting apart that from the rest of the meal. So the Lord's Supper is not just a common meal. It is a holy, set-apart meal to the Lord. You cannot have the Lord's Supper with a, a jumbo jack and fries. Chili fellowship next Sunday night is not the Lord's Supper. That is, we, we have got to understand there are spiritual truths being communed uh, among us in the Lord's Supper. And when we, when we denigrate the Lord's Supper to something common, we, we blind ourselves to those spiritual truths. There is nothing spiritual about having a meal together. You know, I saw a commercial the other day on television urging families to have, a din have dinner together because it's good for the family. If that's the world's point of view, listen, the world is not trying to encourage us to have strong spiritual truths. That means that a common meal, while it's good, good fellowship, it's good to, to get together and to sit around the table and eat together, that's, even the world recognizes that truth is good. The Lord's, something, the Lord's Supper is something completely different, something the world could never grasp, and that is the, 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 the spiritual nature of the supper. So they were having a common meal, and Paul says, no, 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 no. If you're hungry, you have houses to eat and drink in. Do you know how I know the Lord's Supper is not a common meal? Because Paul said that. I think I mentioned this last week. If, if it was just the common meal, Paul would have said, oh, well, you're doing it wrong. You're being too gluttonous. You're not letting the poor have their fair share, which he does say that. But if the meal itself was the Lord's Supper, Paul wouldn't be like, don't you have houses to eat and drink in? Well, he wouldn't say, go home and have the Lord's Supper. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, what you're doing here is not the Lord's Supper. And if you want to glutton yourself, then do it at home. Don't do it in the church. 
Turn to Matthew 26, 26 again. Matthew 26, 26. We're going to be back and forth in all these texts we read earlier. We're drawing our thoughts from these texts. Hold a finger, though, in 1 Corinthians 11. We'll be back. Matthew 26, 26, the Bible says, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is the blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. It says here, as they were eating. The meal was most likely concluding, like I said, he separated it out from the meal itself. Do you think they gave thanks before they ate the meal? I bet they did. That was the custom of the Jews, to give thanks. So why is he giving thanks again? Because he's setting apart the communion meal from what else is going on. It's not part of the, the, the meal gathering together. It's separate. It's different. The meal was most likely concluding, and Jesus took the bread, blessed it, thus setting it apart from the meal they were eating. So Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 says the meal they were having was not itself the supper. Now go back to 1 Corinthians 11. I told you to hold a finger there. Let's go back there. Look at verse 23 when you get there. First Corinthians 11, verse 23. You all there? The Bible says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take heed, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup. When he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament of my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. Paul is instructing them that the bread and cup are served separately and distinctly from the common meal. So he says, what you guys are doing, all right, let me back it up. So Jesus has a meal with his disciples. Then towards the end, as the meal is concluding, as they were eating, he took the bread, he took the cup, he prayed and gave thanks separately, separating out from the meal and served it to them. This church at Corinth says, oh, we're having this meal. This is the Lord's Supper. And Paul says, no, it's not. Let me give you what the Lord delivered to me. That he took the bread and the cup and he blessed them. And he gave it to his disciples. In other words, he, Paul is reminding them it wasn't part of the common meal. He did this separately from the rest of what was going on. Remember, the Lord's Supper is a holy meal. It's dedicated to the Lord. We've talked about this. We feast on Christ in the Lord's Supper spiritually. I don't feast on Christ when I have potato salad and chips. I don't. There is nothing holy about... That was a wonderful pasta salad, by the way. I'm still thinking about that. <laughs> Anytime you make that, I'm cheating that day on my diet. But you know what? Great pasta salad is not holy. It's not feasting on Christ. What we do in the supper church is holy. We have fellowship with Christ. We have nourishment from Christ by faith. We are, we are, are, are looking at Christ's body and blood symbolically, figuratively, right in front of our eyes. 
We are thinking upon and meditating upon the cross of Christ, the broken body and shed blood of Christ. Don't make something holy into something frivolous. Treat it with the respect that it deserves. It's, it's communicating to us a spiritual truth. Number three. Go to 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16. My third thought tonight is the Lord's Supper is fellowship with Christ. Fellowship with Christ. First Corinthians 10, 16. The Bible says, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Behold Israel after the flesh. Are not they which eat the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What say I then? The idol is anything? Or that, or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything? But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. I would not that you should have fellowship with devils. You cannot eat, drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. This is more by way of review. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Attending, buying meat in the pagan marketplace was not a sin. Paul was very clear on that. Uh, who cares if it was offered to idols? An idol is nothing. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. But it was entirely different to attend a feast at the pagan temple where the sacrifice was being offered. That they were not supposed to do. And Paul's reasoning was, those who are sacrificing to devils are fellowshipping with devils. And we are not. So if the sacrifice offered to devils was fellowship with devils, then that which we eat wholly set apart to Christ is fellowship with Christ. Does that make sense? This fellowship is facilitated by the Holy Spirit. I want you to understand, church, when we take the Lord's Supper, don't take it mindlessly. Don't take it mindlessly. Make sure your mind is focused. It's a time of fellowship with Christ. Don't let your mind be elsewhere. Don't, don't be thinking about other things. Think about Christ. Think about his broken body, his shed blood. Think about your conversion. Think about the gospel. Let that minister by faith to your heart. Those who, you know, we, we talk about the, the Taylor Swift concert. Let's, say, let's, bring the, let's bring it to the modern day. We don't have a lot of idols, pagan temples and meat being sacrificed to idols, but we do have a lot of idols, don't we? There was some satanic stuff going on at that concert. You realize there was fellowship with demons going on at that concert. How about football games? Boy, does America worship sports. And listen, football in and of itself is not wrong. It's like music in and of itself is not wrong. But I wouldn't suggest on a Sunday... You skip church, you go join the boys down at the, what do they call it? They party outside. Tailgate. Tailgate. And they wear their 
all their stuff and they get their beer and they celebrate their team. You know what they're doing? They're worshiping their idol. They're sacrificing to demons. What they're doing at the abortion clinic, they're sacrificing to demons. Why should why do we tell people don't go to the abortion clinic? You know, well, I'm not there for an abortion. I don't care what you're there for. You should have no fellowship with demons whatsoever. Church, we're taking the Lord's when we're worshiping. Let's just let's just bring it away from the Lord's minute. When we're in worship, we are fellowshipping with Christ. He is here. We are with Him. Make sure our minds are here. Our hearts are here. Don't be distracted. Don't be thinking of other. When a person sits in the church pew on Sunday, while the preaching is going on, like I used to do, and sneak a look at their phone to see who's winning the ball game, they're sacrificing to demons. And they are, they are, are, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm, i got to put it in my notes from now on. They are, I can't think of the word now. I want to say disheveling, but that's not the right word. I know it's not, it's not even a word. They're doing despite the spirit of grace. Let's put it that way. They're making a mockery of Christ. They're making a mockery of Christ. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Our worship with Christ, our fellowship with Christ in the Lord's Supper, or even in the worship service, is facilitated by the Holy Spirit. When we worship, we are spiritually lifted up into the heavenly realm. You say, I don't, I don't know, Pastor. I don't know if I believe that. I can't see it. All right. Turn off your Western, rationalistic, materialistic mind for a minute and think biblically. We are already seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, aren't we? Yes. Is it hard to believe that when we worship, the Holy Spirit spiritually lifts us up into the presence of Christ? Look at the Bible. Hebrews 12, verse 18. For ye are not come under the mount that might be touched, and that burned with fire, and nor under blackness, and darkness, and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they that heard and treated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it should be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake, but ye are come unto Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Where are we come to, church? The heavenly Jerusalem. And to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. What we're doing in our worship service is spiritual in nature. Don't despise that. When it's time to worship church, be all there. Be all there. We are in the presence of Christ. We are in the presence of the angels. We are in the presence of just men made perfect. We approach a mountain that cannot be touched, the heavenly Jerusalem. We join angels and the spirits of the just made perfect. We come to Jesus and we worship in his presence spiritually. When we eat the Lord's Supper, the spirit brings us to Christ where we receive nourishment to our souls by faith. The communion meal is a renewal of our covenant with Christ. Think about that. Every time we take the Lord's Supper, we're renewing the covenant. with. We're remembering, this is the New, the new Testament. This is the new covenant in my blood, he said. So often as you drink it, you're renewing the covenant. You're saying, yes, I believe. Yes, I'm coming to Christ. Yes, I'm feeding upon Christ.
We do the same thing when we read our Bible, we come to church, we hear the word, we sing praises. We're saying, yes, I believe. Yes, I'm coming to Christ. Yes, I'm coming for nourishment. Yes, I'm coming for strength. Yes, I'm coming by faith. Every worship service is a renewal of our covenant with Christ. And it's spiritual in nature. Coming to Christ and believing upon him is to spiritually eat and drink him. We saw that, we saw that in John 6, didn't we? Go, go and go to John 6 real quick. Coming to Christ and believing on him or eating and drinking Christ. In the supper, we come again and again to Christ seeking nourishment for our souls. John 6, 35. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. This coming to Christ and believing on Christ are not one-time events. Right? That's easy believism. We don't believe that. As long as you come to Christ once, make a profession of faith, you're good. Just go about your life now. No. The coming to Christ, the believing on Christ in the Bible are action verbs. That means we keep coming. We keep believing. And every time we come in the spirit to worship, we're renewing that. We're saying, I'm coming again, Lord. I'm coming again, Lord. Feed me, Lord. Nourish me, Lord. We keep coming. We keep believing. We come to seek spiritual nourishment in prayer. There's spiritual nourishment in prayer, church. That's an act of worship. Make sure you're not praying flippantly, by the way. Um... It's okay to pray off the cuff, right? Driving to work, it's okay to pray in the car. When you sin, it's okay to just get a quick prayer and confess your sin. But I mean, don't let that be your prayer life. Like have a place where you pray. Have a time that you, I mean a time you spend with Christ. Because so all those, those quick little prayers... Are important. They're not nourishing to the soul. Make sure you're being nourished in prayer. There's spiritual nourishment in fellowship with other believers. When we have chili fellowship, that's spiritual nourishment. We, we grow when we fellowship and love each other as the body of Christ. That's why we come to church. To love one another and fellowship with one another. We're a family. And by faith, the Lord nourishes us and strengthens us through other people. Their spiritual nourishment in song. Make sure you're not just singing songs because you're singing songs. Don't sing songs that everybody else is singing songs. And when you sing to Christ, lift your heart to Christ. Because spiritually, you are standing in the presence of Christ and the angels and the saved in heaven and you're saying praise him, praise him Jesus our blessed redeemer yes, but you cannot be praising him because you should be singing the words when you're singing I surrender all, make sure you surrender all or you're standing spiritually in the presence of Christ and you're lying to him there's spiritual nourishment if we're honest with Christ. I've had services where I couldn't sing. I stood there while everybody else sang, and I cried. If that's all you can do, then do that. But there's spiritual nourishment in song. 
if we sing right. And there's spiritual nourishment in the word, whether it's the preached word or the word we read on our own in private. Don't read a couple verses here and there to check them off your daily reading. I mean, be nourished in the word. When you come into the service, say, Lord, speak to me through the word. Nourish me with the word. I told you more than once, I've had services where the preacher said something. And I'm like, wow, he doesn't even know me. And he's saying stuff that applies to me. Sometimes it was rebuke, but it was from God. I knew that only, only God could have done that. He doesn't. I visited churches my first time there. The pastor didn't know me from Adam. And he'd say something I'm like, oh, that applies to my situation right now. And he doesn't know that. There is spiritual nourishment if we'll receive it by faith. We seek it as well in the Lord's Supper. There's great nourishment in remembering when you got saved. I'll get to this in a little bit. I don't want to jump ahead of my notes. Let me, let me get back to that later. But there's nourishment in the Lord's Supper. Number four, the Lord's Supper is part of worship. It's part of worship. Go to Acts 2.42. Acts 2.42. Bible says, They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. We see here a description of the worship of the early church. When they met, they worshiped in fellowship, in prayer, in the apostles' doctrine, which would be the preaching of the word, and they took the Lord's Supper. We do all of those things as part of our regular worship, except for one. We don't take the Lord's Supper on a regular basis. The idea of a monthly, quarterly, or yearly communion service would be entirely foreign to the apostles in the early church. The Lord's Supper was part of their regular worship. I don't want to scare you. I'm not changing anything right now. I'm just telling you from the Bible, they wouldn't understand that. We say things like taking the supper too often makes it less special. It's an aspect of worship. I, don't, I dare any pastor, you find a pastor in America who says, we'll take the offering every week. It's just, it becomes too, out of the, too ordinary for us then. No, giving is part of worship too. Or we say it might become too common. But we sing every week. We preach every week. We give every week. We fellowship every week. What other elements of biblical worship do we treat this way? Can you imagine if I only preach once a year to keep it special? I promise you it would be a very long sermon. What if we only sang once a quarter? What if corporate prayer was just once a month? We treat the Lord's Supper different, but it's just another aspect of Christian worship. For the early church, it wasn't just weekly. It was the reason they met. Turn to Acts chapter 20, verse 7. Acts 20, verse 7. It was the reason they met. Acts 20, verse 7. The Bible says, And upon the first day of the week, that's Sunday, when the disciples came together to, to break bread, Paul preached unto them, and ready to part on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. Not only did they come together on Sunday, 
but for the purpose of their, their gathering was to take the Lord's Supper. They came to break bread. I'm sure they met to fulfill corporate worship. They were going to sing, pray, fellowship, hear the word preach, but the singled out reason they met was the communion meal. We meet for preaching. Let me say it this way. In the modern church, we meet for preaching and take the Lord's Supper. They met to take the Lord's Supper, and then they preached. I'm not saying that we're going to start a weekly Lord's Supper. I'm just trying to ask the question, what does the Bible say? If it's part of biblical worship, if the apostles and those who follow them practiced it this way, if it's fellowship with Christ, if it's renewal of our wedding vows, if you will, with Christ, then why don't we make it more of a priority in the church? I think part of it has to do with our fear of being too Catholic because their worship centers on the mass. But what they offer, they offer to demons. It's not wrong to offer worship to Christ just because pagans offer worship to demons. A large part of the Seventh-day Adventist argument against Sunday worship is that it's too Catholic. If we follow the same principle for when we met, we could, we'd have to meet on Saturday. It's clear from Scripture that it was practiced as part of the weekly worship gathering. Although we're not commanded or prescribed that frequency, why don't we do that? Verse, or number five, the Lord's Supper, I love this one, is a victory meal in the middle of battle. It's a victory meal in the middle of battle. The final and decisive blow to Satan's rebellion and the rebellion of Adam was the cross. As we partake of the supper, we call to mind that victory. We reenact it without reoffering it, if you will. We call to remembrance our own salvation story, and thus we are strengthened in our souls. Too often we forget, don't we? Like Israel. What was Israel's main problem in the Old Testament? They constantly forgot. They forgot the works of God. They forgot the deliverance of God. That's why all the time he's saying, remember, remember, remember. Put them memorials when your children ask, what does this mean? You can tell them, remember. Go to the book of Judges, what do you see? Great deliverance, and they forgot. Great deliverance, and they forgot. When we take the Lord's Supper, we remember. We remember where the Lord rescued us from. You know, it's hard to walk in sin when you're constantly being reminded of the great deliverance that God gave you from sin. It's difficult. It's difficult to walk in sin when you're constantly reminded of the cross. How, how often do we forget? How often do we go back to those same sins from which we were delivered because we forget what God had done for us? We forget how we felt in those sins. We forget the goodness of God. I think doubt sets in in so many Christians' lives because they simply forget what God has done. Communion offers this remembrance. Like I said on Sunday, when you're passing the bread and the cup around, you're passing the gospel around. Christ died for our sins. His blood was shed for us. the gospel message. We're remembering, we're preaching the gospel to ourselves when we take communion. Did you know there are likely demons present in our worship services? 
Maybe tonight. I don't know. I can't see them. But at least I can tell you from time to time, there are demons present in our worship service. We're too rationalistic, materialistic, atheistic. to We ignore the spirit world, don't we? But it's there. And they're here from time to time. Worship is spiritual warfare. What we're doing right now is spiritual warfare. We're fighting back the powers of hell by preaching the gospel, by praying, by singing the praises of Christ. When we take the Lord's Supper, we're reminding them of their defeat. It's spiritual warfare. We are preaching to them their own weakness and doom. Turn to Psalm 23. Our last verse we'll look at, Psalm 23, verse 5. Psalm 23, 5. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. I love that. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. I love the picture here. It's a great picture of communion, right? A table prepared for us in the presence of our enemies. In the presence of the sinful world, in the presence of demonic forces, we take the bread and the cup, and spiritually we feast upon the Lord Jesus Christ, remembering his victory at the cross, our deliverance from sin. You realize demons have no power over us today. No power whatsoever. We remind them of that in the Lord's Supper. A table prepared for us in the presence of demons. In the middle of the battle with sin, with the world just outside our walls, we sit in peace and we feast upon Christ. We're nourished and strengthened in the battle to go out and fight another day. I was trying to think of an analogy, and I apologize, borrowing from Hollywood. There's a great movie back in the 1980s called Tron. Anybody ever see Tron? I'm a, I'm a nerd, so I've seen it many, many times. If you haven't seen it, basically this guy gets taken by a computer into the computer world. And they're in a battle between good and evil in the computer world. And the good guys are kind of on the run. They're kind of on the defensive and they come to this scene in the movie where they have this like water. I don't know how water would fit in a computer, but water. And they're, they're, the suits they wear in the movie glow. If they get more power or less power, it glows or it dims. And as they drink this water, their bodies begin to glow. They're, they're getting power. They're renewing their strength by the water. That's what communion is, church. It means we're battle-hardened from sin, sometimes defeated by this world, sometimes doubting our salvation, to sit and to feast upon Christ is nourishing. It's refreshing. It's rejuvenating. It brings strength to weakened soldiers. Hey, worship in general does. Don't make a habit of missing church. I don't say that because I'm the pastor. I say that because you will never find a weaker Christian than a Christian who skips worship. It's battle, and it's, it's, it's invigorating. 
I can't imagine facing even my own sin, much less the world, without the strength I get Wednesday nights and Sundays. And Bible question and answer and prayer meetings and times of fellowship. It rejuvenates the soul. It brings strength. Concluding this all up, this whole series, the Lord's Supper is part of Christian worship. It brings us into fellowship with Christ and allows him to nourish us spiritually. But church, as I mentioned before, it must be received by faith. It doesn't happen by automatically being there. Right? Being there doesn't nourish you. It's got to be received by faith. The Lord's Supper is victory and celebration, not sadness and mourning. We've got to get past this idea that we're throwing Jesus a funeral. We're not. We should sing happy songs, victorious songs, songs like onward Christian soldiers marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on before. It's open to all believers in communion with Christ. All believers. Don't ever abstain from the Lord's Supper because you feel you're too sinful for it. It's for sinners. If you're saved, you're worthy because Christ is worthy. If you abstain from the supper because you feel unworthy, then your unworthiness is what qualifies you or disqualifies you, and that's a workspace salvation. We come to the table not because we're worthy, because we're unworthy, and only Christ is worthy, and he has made us worthy. Oh, I feel too sinful to take it, Pastor. Then you're the one that needs to take it the most. Take it and remember that you're forgiven and made worthy by Christ. Those in sin or under church discipline must first restore fellowship by repentance. Again, it's fellowship with Christ. If we're in sin, we're out of fellowship with Christ, we, we shouldn't take the Lord's Supper. When I say in sin, I don't mean like, did you sin? I mean, are you living with somebody out of wedlock? That's what I mean, ongoing sin. Rebellion to Christ. That's what I mean by that. I want to clarify that. Number five, communion is a holy meal, not a common one. Don't take it frivolously. Number six, it's an ordinance of the church, meaning something we are commanded to do. And it teaches an important spiritual truth. Number seven, Christ is present in the supper spiritually. We commune with him, we fellowship with him, we participate with him, we are nourished by him through the Holy Spirit. And lastly, the Lord's Supper is a sermon to our enemies that Christ has won. It's a table where we sit at peace, we eat, and we're nourished in the presence of our enemies because Christ is victor and we share in his victory. I hope this series has given you a fresh perspective on the Lord's Supper. It's a wonderful thing that we have just fallen into tradition over too much in the church. Too much tradition. What does the Bible say? Are we practicing it right? Do we view it correctly? The reason it gets abused so much is people don't even view it correctly. They don't view it as a holy thing. But it is. Next time you take the Lord's Supper... By faith, receive from Christ all that he has. Worship him. And tell your enemies he's one. He's one. And remember, 
Remember your salvation. Remember what Christ has brought you out of. Remind yourself of the gospel. Remind yourself of the cross. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you tonight for this series, Lord. I've tried to convey, I believe, biblically. and Lord, my heart and thoughts on the Lord's Supper, it's so abused today. It's neglected in some places because it's viewed wrongly by so many. All of worship is that way, Lord. That's why worship services are often a big party. But Lord, we're, we're not here to party. We're here in reverence to stand before the creator of all the earth and to praise him, praise him. For our sins, he suffered and bled and died. He, our rock, our hope of eternal salvation. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. That's what we're here for, to worship, to strengthen ourselves, Lord. In worship, we, we strengthen our... There's a war going on out there, Lord. Help us to not lose sight that all worship is warfare. We receive strength for the battle in, in the service of Christ, in the songs, in the preaching, in the fellowship, in the giving, in the supper, all of it. We need one another. We need the church. We need the means of grace that you've provided for us. I pray, Lord, that we'll take our worship much more seriously than we have in the past. Strengthen us for the battle ahead this week. Nourish our souls. Like with Cain, sin is lying at the door, waiting to try to conquer us. May we yield ourselves as servants of righteousness this week. May you give us strength to stand in this evil day. Help us to stand firm in the word of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed.